Good morning. It's good to see all of you this morning. If you would, please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Hosea. Hosea. It comes right after Daniel. Hosea, Joel, Amos, right before Joel. Turn with me to the book of Hosea. As we've been studying through the history of the Old Testament, we've been learning about a lot of kings, and we've been learning about a lot of people, and this morning we're going to take some time to review a few of those kings, but we're going to look at this prophet because this is the time he appears in history, Hosea. Now, you need to do something for me, and that is you need to forget everything you know about Hosea just for a few minutes. Because um, as we approach this book, you may know some things about him, but I would actually not be surprised that many of you don't know anything about Hosea. Um, Because it's not one of those books that's often preached from. And to be honest, it's one of those books that part of it, I don't even like to read. Now, I say that, and sometimes my children say, well, you tell us that, and we just want to cover our ears because we don't want to hear it then. Well, I understand sometimes. But if you cover your ears in Hosea, you're going to miss some amazing promises. Not only are there some disturbing and troubling things in this book, there's also some absolutely amazing and incredible things in this book. So here we have our timeline, and you know these first three kings, right? Saul, David, Solomon. The kingdom was divided with the northern kingdom as Rehoboam and the southern kingdom, uh, or the northern kingdom Jeroboam and the southern kingdom Rehoboam. Now, don't forget that first king up in the north, Jeroboam, because we're going to actually find out as we look at all of the kings that we're going to look at today, they have a problem that traces all the way back to Jeroboam the first. What's he famous for? What's he famous for, Hannah? He made Israel to sin. That's right. He's introduced all throughout the Old Testament as Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. What did he do that made Israel to sin? Who remembers that? Micaiah? He set up the golden calves. That's right. One in Dan, way far north in the kingdom, and one at Bethel in the middle of the kingdom. And he said to the people... This is Jehovah. Our ears tingle to hear that, but that's what he did. And throughout all the northern kingdom time period, this was a problem. It was a big problem. Except in the time of Omri, it was still a problem then, but they had the problem, more bigger problem with Baal. But Jehu made it a big deal, and so did his children. Well, we're going to learn some things about it today. But if we see this, we've learned about these kings, right? Jeroboam and Nadab, the end of Jeroboam's dynasty. Baasha and Allah, end of his dynasty. Zimri, who reigned seven days. Timnai and Omri, Omri winning out. Ahab, Ahaziah, Joram, Jehu, Jehoahaz. And we go forward, Jehoash, Jeroboam II. And here you can see where we have left off the last time. And you see the yellow bar there? There is where we've left off at the end of Jeroboam II's reign. Now notice the black bar of the prophet Hosea. Hosea, for it tells us in the first verse of his prophecy that the word of the Lord came unto Hosea, the son of Berai, in the days of Uriah. Uriah is this king down here in the south, in Judah. All right, so you see he came in the days of Uriah. I'm sorry, Uzziah, Jotham, Uzziah's son, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So he's in Hosea, is identified as king during these kings of Judah, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. So that's how we know how it fits into the timeline. And it also says... And in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. There's Joash, so there's Jeroboam the second. And we have him here in the timeline. 
Now, it's interesting to note that it doesn't talk about Zechariah or Shalom and Mehem, or, or it doesn't talk about any of the rest of the northern kingdoms. And as we're going to find out today, part of the reason for that is because the northern kingdom becomes chaotic after the death of Jeroboam II. In fact, how many of you have ever wondered why, on my timeline, I have a gap there? How many of you have wondered that? Oh, good, because I've even wondered. Why do I have a gap there? Honestly, I still am wondering why there's a gap there. It's strange. And lest I get all chronologically nerdy on you, and I'm going to try not to, I'm going to refer you to the timeline out in the hallway and look at all those crisscross lines and find out why we put a gap there. There's some, there's some details in how the chronology is presented in the Bible that leaves an 11-year gap. And um, it's, it's not real obvious. You have to look at this scripture and look at this scripture and look at, look at all. Look, you have to look at about eight scriptures to piece it together because if you don't, it's like it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit. In fact, years ago when I first put this timeline together, I just assumed that Zechariah came right after Jeroboam II. So when I put this on, I just stretched it all the way across, not paying attention to how the scale worked because I knew how long Jeroboam reigned, but I didn't bother to calculate it out. I just pushed him all the way to where Zechariah was. I knew where the beginning of Zechariah was. The Bible tells us that. But the Bible, only, the only way we know the end of Jeroboam II is because it tells us when he began to reign in parallel with this king, and it only tells us how many years he reigned. And if we calculate those years, it ends 11 years short before his son starts to reign. Why? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. It doesn't give us the information as to why. I don't know. But I have a theory. I have a theory. Remember this prophet up here? Amos? When does it say his prophecy came? There's a major event that happened in Israel that his prophecy came two years before. William? An earthquake. Amos' prophecy was said to have come two years before the great earthquake. We also find out in Zechariah the prophet that the earthquake occurred in the days of Uzziah. So, where exactly does Amos fall? Well, he falls somewhere within the reign of Uzziah, but also within the reign of Jeroboam II. Here's a suggestion for you. The earthquake occurred right near the end of Jeroboam II's reign. Maybe it marked the end of his reign. And if it happened there, and we think about how earthquakes and the devastation they cause, they throw governments, they throw nations into turmoil. We see that happen. And especially as they have studied archaeology and they've studied the ruins of the city from this time, the cities in Israel from this time period, it was massive. The destruction was on the level of conquering armies coming in and just flattening cities. And so we know the earthquake was unbelievably great and of great magnitude. And it's possible, just a suggestion, that these 11 years of just who's king may have occurred partly because that was a time of utter devastation and it took the kingdom 11 years to just begin to recover from the devastation of that earthquake. There's still some problems with it and it gets super technical and I got all kinds of notes if you'd like to read them of how and why the dates fit together and some problems with it and some pieces that fit together with it. I'll try to refrain from it. It's really fascinating though. But um, I encourage you, if you're interested, check out with me um, and I've got some notes on it. I'd love to share with you on the details of the, the, the earthquake and when it happened and how some different things would fit. But here we are at the end of Jeroboam II's reign. Amos' prophecy has come. Has Uzziah, at this point, entered into the temple in offering incense? Many people presume that it was later in his life, way up here, but it's not real clear. There's some details that don't play all together, but it's possible. There is a possibility 
that it did take place at this time, which would make sense in fitting in with Josephus, who claimed that the same time that the earthquake happened was the same time that Uzziah entered into the holy place with that incense. If it happened here, that means that a lot of the events we're going to look at today occurred while Uzziah, the king, was a leper. But he may have still been king sitting upon his throne. Can I have Uzziah come join me up here? Jared, you want to be Uzziah again? Join me sitting here in your throne. Bring your Bible, because you're going to just sit up here the whole time as a, as a representative of Uzziah. And it's going to be fascinating as we see things flow through here. So here we have these, these kings. Now, something about Jeroboam. Think back to the prophet Amos. Do you remember Amos? Amos prophesied against, you're over there, Judah, prophesied against Jeroboam II, didn't he? He said that a sword would come up against his house, didn't he? Well, now we come here to Hosea. And um, what we're going to do is see how Hosea fits into the timeline. And then we're going to also see how Hosea fits into the Bible. So we know these foundational books of the Bible, right? We have these. If you were to read all 11 of these books in order, you would get the basic history of the Bible. So we've been studying in 2 Kings, and we've been learning about details in 2 Kings. But you know we learn other history by seeing how other books fit together. And most commonly, we have found 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles. They fit in with the Samuel books and the Kings books, don't they? Very nicely. But they're not the only books that fit in here. For example, here is where Hosea fits. Do you see where Hosea fits? Right in here in 2 Kings. And so let's look at Hosea's book of prophecy. Now, there's some things that I'll be blunt and forthright with you up front are rather concerning and disturbing with Hosea. For if we look right here, at the very beginning of it, in verse 2, it says that the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. What's whoredoms? Uh, you know that's a rather hard thing to explain. It is when men and women behave themselves wickedly and they are unfaithful to their husband or to their wife. Another word to describe whoredoms is how they describe a person who is a whore, involved in whoredoms is one who is a whore or one who is a harlot. If you remember Proverbs, Proverbs has great warnings about avoiding harlots. They're called strange women. And here now God says to Hosea, go and marry such a woman. You say, say, wait a minute. I thought Proverbs said stay far, far, far away from them. Proverbs does. So what's going on here? I suggest to you that what's going on here is that this woman, whose name we find out is Gomer, was formerly a harlot was formerly a prostitute involved in such whoredoms. If you go back into the culture in this time, God says here that the land have committed great whoredoms. It's unbearable to even read some of the history of this time period. The worship of Jeroboam's golden calves included this on the side. The worship of Baal included this on the side. It was a whole system of wickedness that was permeating throughout the land. It was terrible. It's interesting that it speaks of as children of whoredoms. This was not just even in one generation. This was a generational issue, a generational thing. Oftentimes when we think of this kind of thing nowadays in the modern context, we, we think of it in the context of slavery and oppression. And just so you know, it is slavery and oppression no matter how glamorous it is in any context. But this was a system of that time. 
And it was a terrible, terrible system. But it had been there in this land, and God hated it. And we reading into this a little bit, it appears that Hosea had fallen in love with a woman who had this in her background. How far past background, I don't know. How recent it was, I don't know. But here this is, and God says, marry her. And your marriage with this woman is going to become a sign to the nation of Israel because the nation of Israel doesn't get it. The nation of Israel doesn't understand what they've done to me. You see, throughout the Old Testament, God showed himself as a husband to the nation of Israel, a husband to a people in Egypt who were a wicked and idolatrous people. Sometimes we forget that fact about the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel in Egypt were worshiping the gods of the Egyptians. And yet, God chose them. God led them out of Egypt to be his wife, to care for them, to provide for them, to love them, to give them the promised land, to give them all that they would ever need. And over and over throughout Israel's history, Israel has been like an adulterous wife forsaking the Lord and going and pursuing whoredoms, seeking after other gods, and in the picture committing adultery against the Lord and with other nations and with other gods. God says the nation, the land here at the end of verse 2, has committed great whoredoms departing from the Lord. And so now Hosea goes, and it says in verse 3, he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblim, which conceived, and bare him a son. They got married. Now, I want to look at this, and I think we have good and just cause to look at this as a beautiful thing. In fact, as we keep reading the book, it's implied that Hosea has rescued her out of this debauchery life of slavery. They love each other, and they have a baby boy. And the Lord says to Hosea, call his name Jezreel. You might be thinking, I know that name. That's the name of a city. But do you know why it's the name of a city? Well, what does Jezreel mean? Jezreel means scattered. Now, why do you think they named the city Jezreel? Well, not exactly sure, but many have come to believe that Jezreel was referred to as scattering. That region is because you would go forth and scatter the seed, and anywhere you scattered it, it would grow. It was a prosperous, prosperous region. And so you could go and scatter seed. You could Jezreel seed, and it would grow. Very, very, very lush soil, rich soil. Well, here, God has him name his son Jezreel, scattered. So when you say Jezreel to the Hebrew person, when they see this word or hear this word, they hear the word not of the name of a city like we do, or this strange-sounding Jezreel. They hear the word scattered. Imagine getting the name scattered. Would you like to be called scattered, Micaiah? Who wants here? Wants, who wants to be called scattered? I don't know that I would want to be called scattered, especially nowadays we talk about being scatterbrained. You know, I don't think I'd want to be scattered. Well, here this little boy, he gets the name Jezreel. He gets the name scattered. Why? The Lord says, call his name Jezreel. For yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. Oh, there's two reasons why this baby boy was named Jezreel. Two reasons. The, the, the first one is because there's judgment that's going to come upon Jehu, 
You remember King Jehu, don't you? Let's see if we can find King Jehu again here. There we go. You remember King Jehu? He's the one who executed the house of Ahab right there, you see? But you remember that he went far beyond what he was commanded to do. There is recorded in 2 Kings 10. And beyond just executing those of the house of Ahab he was commanded to execute, he went beyond and he murdered, murdered, murdered all the great men of Jezreel. Innocent blood was shed at Jezreel. Not only at Jezreel, but throughout that entire region of Jezreel and further south. He became a monster. And God said that the judgment would be upon his house. Because you know what we find out here? Is not only was Jehu this way, but so were all of his children too. As we keep on reading, we see here these, these, these five kings, all of them were very much like Jehu. Very, 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 very wicked kings. And Hosea is now prophesying that the blood of Jezreel will come upon the house of Jehu. Now, that's fascinating. You remember when Jehu had done all of this, you remember that he began to worship the golden calves that Jeroboam II had set up. Remember that? And you remember that a prophet came to him and said, because you have done well in executing the house of Ahab, as commanded and ordained. Your house will continue for four generations. Now, we read that, and it's kind of like a, a blessing or something positive, but it's not really. It's an indirect way of saying, you have done something that you deserve right now to be cut off right now. But because you have done what I've told you to do, I will give your dynasty four generations. He's going to give them a chance to show grace and mercy. Well, you know ahead of the story, don't you? Jehu dies. Jehoahaz, Jehoash, Jeroboam II, Zechariah. And that's the end of the house of Jehu. Hosea is prophesying here that yet a little while... And this blood of Jezreel will be brought upon the house of Israel. But not just that. He says, I will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. <gasps> the house of Israel, that's the kingdom up here. Well, if, if we were to look here at our, at our timeline and see how this all flows together, we're not very far away from the end of the northern kingdom. You see here, we have... Jeroboam the second ending, we're now in Hosea. Right here, 722 B.C., we're far less than 100 years away, yet a little while from the end of the house of Israel. And you know what happens when Assyria comes in for the final time in 722? By the way, they come in several times otherwise before that. We'll talk about that when we get to it. But when they come in that final time in 722, you know what happens to the people? Jezreel. Jezreel. That's what happens to the people. The people of Israel are scattered. They're Jezreeled all over the world. The empire of Assyria. So God says to Hosea, you name your firstborn son Jezreel, scattered, because I'm going to avenge the innocent blood shed in Jezreel, and I am going to scatter the house of Israel. Now imagine Hosea and his wife go out and begin to introduce their newborn baby. Oh, what's his name? Jezreel. Oh, that's a weird name. Why'd you pick that name? Because the end of the house of Jehu is soon to avenge the blood of Jezreel and because the nation of Israel will come to an end and be scattered. Now, how many of you would say, well, congratulations. That's such a nice name. It was a sign of coming judgment. 
that judgment will happen in the valley of Jezreel. Look at verse 5. God says that it shall come to pass at that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. You know what the bow is? That's what the archer pulls back and launches that arrow. Well, Israel's going to assemble to fight against Assyria, and they're going to draw their bows, and their bows are going to be broken. Why? Because they're going to be killed by the Assyrians, and they're going to be scattered. And it's going to be in the valley of Jezreel. Oh, such a nice name for the firstborn son. Verse 6. And she conceived again. Oh, he's not going to have another baby. And bear a daughter. A daughter this time. And God says unto him, Call her name Loruhamah. Oh, that's an interesting name. The firstborn son is named Jezreel. And then they have a daughter, Loruhamah. You know what that means? Unpitied. Imagine announcing that name to all your friends and family. Imagine what Grandma and Grandpa thought of that. Huh? You named her what? Unpitied. That's what it would be like. I mean, think about it. Well, you know, this is the best parallel. When we give names to pretty little girls, what do we call them? Rose. Right? Right? That's the same thing. We do the same thing. Well, it doesn't mean that the little girl is a rose. We're just comparing her to a rose for being precious and beautiful, right? Well, how, would you, how many of you would name your kid Unpitied? Unpitied! Unpitied! Hey, Unpitied, come here! That's a weird name. It's a sign. I hope she had a middle name. <laughs> Call her Unpitied, God says. For I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. God says, name her on pity, so that when people ask you why you named her that, you can say to them, for the Lord will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but will utterly take them away. But look at verse 7. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horses, nor by horsemen. Now, we don't have time to jump ahead, but this is a prophecy. God is now prophesying here that this daughter is going to be named Unpity as a sign. Oh, let's go back to our timeline. As a sign that Israel will not experience pity and will be scattered, but Judah, look down here, Hezekiah, will be spared. And it won't be spared by the bow or by the sword or by the battle, by horses or by horsemen. That's a prophecy. So the bow of Israel is going to be broken. They're going to be fighting, 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 and it's going to be broken, and they're just going to lose and be scattered. Meanwhile, down in Judah, they're going to be spared. I have to tell you a little bit ahead of the story. What's going on here is that Sennacherib, the mighty, mighty Assyrian king, comes down, and he destroys Israel, conquers Samaria, flattens it. When he's done with Israel, the northern kingdom, guess where he goes next? Jerusalem. And he comes to Jerusalem and he besieges that city with all of his army and all of his might. And God shows them mercy. Just as prophesied here. In fact, I wonder if when Hezekiah took that letter from Sennacherib and laid it out before the Lord, if he wasn't particularly thinking of this verse. Right here. That Judah will be experience mercy. And it's not going to be my military might. Well, you'll have to wait to find out how God delivers them from the mighty Sennacherib when we get to it later. So here we have these children, the son, Jezreel, 
Then the daughter, Loruhamah. And you know what? It tells us, now when, verse 8, she had weaned Loruhamah, she conceived again and bare a son. Then said God, call his name Loami. How many of you want to be named Loami? Well, what's that mean? Not my people. Oh, imagine telling Grandma this name. Grandma, we named her not my people. You what? Why would you name her that? Or all the neighbors asking, why would you name her that? And then he would say, for the Lord has said, ye, Israel, are not my people, and I will not be your God. These three children of Hosea are signs against Israel of him scattering them, showing them no pity, and refusing to acknowledge them as their God. So let's go back to the history. Remember Jehu? The avenge the house of Jehu, right? We already reviewed some of the history there. Well, who was Jehu, this king? Well, he reigned for 28 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He fulfilled the Lord's prophecy and command by executing the house of Ahab, but went beyond murdering innocent people in Jezreel, for which his house will be judged. He eliminated the Baal worship from Israel as he reinstituted the golden calf worship in Israel. And it was said that his dynasty would only last four generations. King Jehu. Well, I need lots of helpers. Who would like to be his son Jehoahaz? I don't have much time here, guys. Just line up here. Matt, come on. We got some people. We got a whole host of them that we got to take care of here. Go, go on, sit up there on the crown, on the seat of Israel, and reign. Because when Jehu died, and we look on on our timeline, who becomes king after him? Jehoahaz. So, who was Jehoahaz? Well, he reigned 17 years in Israel, and he too did evil in the sight of the Lord, just as Jehu had done. He was oppressed all his day by Haziel. Remember Haziel? Haziel wasn't a very nice guy, was he? All the days of Haziel and Ben-Hadad, he was oppressed by them. But remember one time when he was oppressed, he besought the Lord and the Lord delivered him from Haziel? But in spite of being delivered by the Lord, he just went right on worshiping, persisting in the sins of Jeroboam. You know what happens to Jehoahaz? He died. And who comes next? Well, it was his son, Joash. So we've got one down after Jehu, and now we've got the second one. Remember this guy, Joash. He reigned 16 years. He too did evil in the sight of the Lord, worshiping Jeroboam's idols. Remember, we can't confuse him with Jehoash and Judah, or Joash and Judah. That's the same name, same name there. Remember, this is the king that when Elisha was dying, he went to visit him, and he beat the arrows on the ground three times, and Elisha said, why did you only beat them three times? For now you will only smite Syria three times. Why not five or six and utterly destroyed them? Well, he ended up doing just that and smiting Syria three times. Remember, this was the guy that had the issue with Amaziah down in Judah. Conflict there. And he thought he was the cedar king and Amaziah was the thistle king. That's this guy here. That's this guy here. Uh, he was the guy that, in spite of all of that, when Amaziah refused to listen, he marched on Jerusalem. He knocked down 600 feet of their wall and carried away hostages and captives and took all of their treasure. This was Jehoahaz. But you know what happened? Jehoahaz, he died. And guess what? He had his son. What was his son's name? It's on the screen. What was his son's name? What was his son's name? Jeroboam, but not the first Jeroboam. Here we have the second Jeroboam. 
Jeroboam II, he reigned a long time, 41 years. Great guy, right? Mm. He also did evil in the sight of the Lord. He also worshiped the golden calves of your namesake. Don't know why they named him that, but to honor the fact that Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. What a legacy you got. He continued in it. It was in his days that Jonah, Jonah prophesied that Israel's borders would be retaken and expanded, and that's exactly what happened. In his day, there was great prosperity, as we're told, by the prophet Amos. And Amos also, though, rebuked Jeroboam II, his entire false worship center, including Amaziah, his priest, condemned them, and warned that the sword was coming against his house. That was a prophecy of Amos with a great injustice in the land, the sword would rise against Jeroboam II. But you know what? Jeroboam II died. And remember, on our timeline, it seems here that at this point, oh, oh, I have forgot this. You see this here? This is something that was found in Megiddo. Now, Megiddo is a city that overlooks the Jezreel Valley. It was, a, it was a great city where Solomon kept his horses. It's a great city. Well, they found this seal here. You see the lion there? And here, this is a seal. And it was a royal seal of one of his stewards as the servant of Jeroboam. He was prosperous, very wealthy, a record of him in archaeology. So the end of Jeroboam II. So now we need Zechariah. Here we go. Zechariah. Now, some time passed before you became king, it looks like. 11 years here. You see that gap there? And here we have Zechariah. Now, let's learn about Zechariah. So, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 15. It tells us at the end of chapter 14 that Jeroboam slept with his fathers, even the kings of Israel, and Zechariah his son reigned in his stead. Hey, I need more volunteers to line up over here because we need more helpers to come as it keeps on going. So get some more volunteers over here to line up as this comes on. For it tells us here that in the 38th year of Azariah, notice down there Uzziah, king of Judah, did Zechariah, the son of Jeroboam, reign over Israel in Samaria for six months. Six months. So, Zechariah. What's some things we know about Zechariah? Well, he lived, he reigned six months. He too did evil in the sight of the Lord in worshiping Jeroboam's idols. Well, let me introduce you here. I shouldn't have put all the information up there on the screen yet. To this guy over here, his name is Shalom. Oh, you stay up there. You stay up there. You stay up there. Yeah, you stay up there. This guy here. Well, who, who, who is Shalom? Well, um, we don't know much about him. He's the son of Jabesh. And you know what he did? He conspired against him and went in and slew him publicly before all the people. Aren't you going to actually kill him? You did it publicly. Oh. And then you know what you did? Hey, you're down on the ground. You're dead. It says that Shalom, the son of Jaba, conspired against him and smote him before the people. He wasn't even ashamed of it and slew him, and reigned in his stead. And the rest of the acts of Zechariah, the one who's dead, behold, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. They're out of print. If you find it, let me know. I'd like to read them. This was the word of the Lord. Note here. This, what just now happened, was the word of the Lord, which he spake unto Jehu, saying, Thy son shall sit on the throne of Israel unto the fourth generation. And so it came to pass. And so we have here Zechariah dead, being assassinated publicly by Shalom, fulfilling the prophecy given to Jehu. And so we have this guy here. Well, what happens to him? Well, you oh, don't look up at the screen. 
You don't look up at the screen. You too, this guy here, Shalom, he too did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He too worshipped the golden calves of Jeroboam, for that's what it tells us here. Hmm. You know how long you reigned? You already looked at the screen. Well, let me tell you, there's another guy. There is another guy here in this time whose name is Mahinahem. Now, have you noticed the colors are changing? What's the colors stand for? What's the colors stand for? Dynasties. Dynasties, that's right. That's a family of ruling kings. So we started off with pink, and then we moved on to the black. And now we get this guy. And you know what he does? He too conspires against this king, and what's he do? Kills him. Fall down dead. And now we have a new king. We have Mahinam, king of Israel. For it tells us here that the rest of the acts of Shalom and his conspiracy which he had made, behold, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel. Now, this guy here, he actually tries to bring some stability to the kingdom. He must not have trusted that guy very much. He tries to bring some stability to the kingdom. So if you look here, when, when we have... Um, we'll I've got ahead of myself. Just so you know, when you came up, he came from Tirzah. Here you can see a map. And here you can see Tirzah, Blinking, and Samaria. So he came from an old royal city of Tirzah and came and smote the king in Samaria. And he only reigned one full month, and that was the end of it. So now we go back, and we have done with summarizing that king, right? And we come to this guy here. Well, what are we going to learn about this guy here? You know how long he reigned? Ten years. Ten years. That's pretty good, considering the last guy only reigned one full month. It's almost like it's an emphasis to say one full month. Like, he actually he made it, as if it was unlikely that he was going to make it. So now we have Mahinahem. Now, he's interesting because um, he reigned a good time, 10 years. He was also evil in the sight of the Lord. He also continued in the worship of the golden calves of Jeroboam II. But he is famous not only for assassinating the king before him, but for conquering great lands. This is actually amazing. If we look here at a map, you see the two blinking stars? Now, just to show you how far we are zoomed out, here's the, sea, the, the, the Dead Sea, and here's the Sea of Galilee. You know, normally our maps of Israel kind of show this region, and sometimes going down to this point region. Most maps don't go way up here. You see that little swiggly blue line up there? That's the Euphrates River. This king went all the way from Samaria all the way up to the Euphrates River, and he took this city, conquered it. He's like right on the border of Assyria, the most powerful kingdom in the, in the world at this time. <sighs> the record is honest. I don't even want to read what's recorded next, because instead of behaving as a king of Israel, I even hate this, this poor little guy here. You didn't know how bad of a guy you were going to be, did you? That's why I have trouble getting volunteers. People have to play volunteers really bad. The guy you're playing was mean. He was wicked. When he captured this city, he utterly destroyed it. Down to the point, I don't even want to say it. This king, down to the point of ripping up women with child. That's what it says. If the city opened not to him, he smote it. And all the women therein that were with child, he ripped up. You know, there's a new spread of this. You know why he did it? He was acting like the Assyrians. He was a terrorist, is what he was. And as a new spread of this, he would force cities to just open up their gates. What's implied here, and what Assyria actually did, is sometimes they wouldn't even kill anyone else. I mean, can you just... Uh, 
they would just do this. It's all they would do when they conquered the city. Horror. He reigned for 10 years. He tells us that he reigned in Samaria. But while he was king, he did something else. There was another problem. There was another king that came. And I don't have a name plaque for this one. Pool. You know who he is? <laughs> he is an Assyrian king. And he comes down through Israel, and he starts to cause a lot of trouble in Israel against this guy. You get scared. So you know what you do? You start collecting some of this. You know what this is? This is silver. This is five ounces of silver. Do you know how much silver he raised? 37 and a half tons of it. Oh, and by the way, he didn't just have it laying around. So you know what he did? Ah, you're going to love this. He went and found all of you and took your silver. He went to all the rich people. <laughs> Tax the rich. That's what I'm going to do. Took their silver, took their silver. Till he had 37 and a half tons of it to go pay off this guy. But it wasn't just a little bar like that. If you were to take that and melt it all down into one block... It would be a block about this tall cubed, 37 and a half tons, to pay him off. So he goes away, this king of Assyria. He goes away and he leaves him alone after getting paid a thousand talents of silver. Well, you know what happens? You live. And you know what? You reign, and um, then you know what? You die. And your son becomes king. Look at that. Nobody killed you. Good for you. So his son becomes king, reigning here in his stead. Look at that. That Assyrian king wants to play the next part. Well, now we have Pekaniah of Israel, Mehinam's son. So Mehinam, he's finished. And then we have, if we move our, our timeline over, we have Pekaniah. He reigns two years. He too did evil in the sight of the Lord. And um, you know what happened? Should we reuse him? He had a general whose name was Pika. Isn't that interesting? Their names are similar. I wonder if this guy picked his name on purpose like this. The meanings here are intriguing. But here, here we have the general. This guy here, and now his general. Can you guess what happens? Well, you already know what happens, don't you? It's a different color. So that's exactly what happens. He comes in and he does just that. <laughs> that's the way you guys should have done it. I don't know if that's the way he died, but he died. He was too assassinated. This time he was assassinated not just by his general, but his general came to him along with two other guys, Argob and Ariel. And with them, 50 men of the Gileadites, 50 people from on the other side of the Jordan River conspired against him, and they assassinated him. They killed him, and here we've got Pekah reigning in his stead. Notice here our timeline. We're right here. What was the prophecy of Hosea? Jezreel scattered. I don't even know the Hebrew names. Not pitied. Not my people. Feels like that in the land, doesn't it? Trouble comes, trouble comes, trouble comes. But you know, we have to finish reading the chapter in Hosea. I know we're out of time, but we have got to finish reading the chapter. 
because God makes a prophecy here. Not only are they going to be scattered, the time is coming. In your time, Assyria is going to come down and begin the scattering. I mean, we already had one guy and he got paid off, delayed. Now we're going to have another king, Tiglath-Pilaster III, coming in, causing trouble in his time. Ultimately then with Sennacherib in 722 B.C. And Israel is scattered. They are unpitied. They are not my people, God says. But look at this prophecy. Verse 10, Hosea 1.10. Yet, yet. So what was the end of it here? They're scattered. They're unpitied. They're not my people and I'm not their God, God says. Yet. Oh, I love that word yet. Yet, the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered nor measured. A guarantee of the promise made to Abraham. And it shall come to pass, after all of this, that in the place where it is said to them, ye are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, Ye are the sons of the living God. Then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint to themselves one head. By the way, this has not yet happened, but it will. One head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Here the Jezreel of the sowing and the seed of the plants in the valley, not of the scattering of the people. Say ye unto your brethren, Ami, which means my people, and of to your sisters, Ruhamah, having obtained mercy and pity. This is a glorious day. This is a prophecy of the millennium when Jesus Christ is that one who will be the son of David. And later on in Hosea, he talks about it more, about them actually coming to David, coming to Jesus and making him their king, that kingdom that will be on this earth for a thousand years at the end of which he will deliver it up to his father. Hosea is a glorious book. This week, can you read it for me? We're not going to spend a lot of time in it, but please read it. Some of it is... Hard to understand, but so much of it is rich when you understand that there is judgment, but along with the judgment, there are prophecies of mercy and joy. Here we are in Israel. You see what's all been going on over here? <laughs> poor, poor Uzziah over here feels left out. <laughs> Do you? No, I don't think he wanted all that trouble in his kingdom. I mean, look at all the assassination, assassination, assassination. Don't you feel left out? No, that's good. Read Hosea and let us rejoice, recognizing indeed the righteous judgment of God, but rejoicing in his abundant, wonderful mercy. Great God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this history. May we learn from it. May we be a people who know you, who seek you, who find you. Be our God. Oh, the privilege to be called your children. May we walk as becometh your children. Fill us with your spirit and glorify yourself through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.